Good afternoon. Welcome to the JB Font channel. I am your host, James Fauntleroy. It's so good to see you all on this wonderful afternoon of October 25th, 2025. As usual, it is a Tuesday afternoon. It is good to see you all here. I am live, uh, as always. And just to let you guys know, the JB Font channel is available on all major podcast platforms like Anchor, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, so you can subscribe to me there. I'm also part of the Revolutionary Blackout Network, so you can tune in to the JB Show on Sundays at 1 p.m., also on RBN Live on Tuesdays at 4, and the Savvy and JB Show on Thursdays at 6. I'd like to give a warm welcome to everyone who is watching this on Rumble on the rewatch on Rockfin and on Twitter today. Uh, this is a very important topic, so this is one of the reasons why I'm also streaming this on Twitter. Now, if you have not already, please make sure to give this video a thumbs up. That helps out with the algorithm, and that helps me to be able to reach more people because messages and uh, you know interviews like this are very important, so that people get information to solutions that they may have not heard before. Also, thank you to my patrons on Patreon and Coffee for also being able to help me carry this channel because without you guys, I would not have a channel. And I thank you from the top and bottom of my hearts. Today is going to be a really great show because we actually have a possible solution. That's something that a lot of people have been wanting to hear. We're talking to Miss Alfeca Maturdy. Uh, did I say your name correctly? Matardi, that's fine. <laughs> Matardi, I'm sorry. Alfeca Matardi. She's a 25-year macroeconomist and international and part of the International Monetary Fund, uh, senior economist and board member of the National Infrastructure Bank Coalition. Miss Alfeca, so good to have you. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, of course, uh, you know, I always give my customary hellos to the chat. I will do that. Uh, you know, a little bit later, but, you know, I have a few questions. This is really the layman's questions because as for somebody who just first hearing about this, right. And, um, of course, some of my viewers are familiar with this because that we hear a lot from Roger Meadows, <laughs> as you probably know him. Um, and he talks about national infrastructure banks in his comments in the chat, uh, all the time which is also very helpful, which also gives us a little pre-education before we hear from you. But if you can give the viewers a, a, a synopsis of what is a national infrastructure bank? Great, that's a great question. So actually uh, what this is envisaging is a public bank to lend for infrastructure projects all across the country. And why do we need a public bank? The reason is we're just not able to do it through the federal budget, through laws that we've just passed, through state and local budgets, even uh, some municipalities apply for municipal bonds to build infrastructure. And that combination is not working. Uh, the proof that it's not working is our spending has fallen in half from the 1960s when we used to spend about 4% of 
gross domestic product. That's the size of our economy down to yeah. today, which is about half that much, about 2% we spend on infrastructure. And this mm -hmm. is such a critical part of our economy. We can't move trucks unless we have roads and bridges to carry them over. We can't move people to work unless we have a, be a better rail system, a better commuter traffic system. Uh, we can't uh, turn on this, this, this uh, StreamYard video unless we yeah. have electricity. And believe me, the electricity grid is really cre creaking right now. So we're in a uh, conundrum all across the board. We need a national infrastructure bank to finance these projects that these state local budgets can't do it. And actually it's uh, been something that we've done before, uh, four times in our nation's history, as a matter of fact, starting after the American Revolutionary War, Alexander Hamilton, you know, that guy in the play, uh, he, yeah. he, came up, <laughs> he wanted to break away from the British uh, uh, categorically and uh, not, be used as a colony outpost to provide tobacco and slaves and things like that. So uh, he built the first bank of the United States and used it to industrialize our country. And then the last time we had a bank like this, the Reconstruction Finance Corporation during the Great Depression and World War II, that's how we got out of it. With Everybody knows the, the FDR program to get us out of the depression. Nobody knows about this critical role that this bank played in financing everything to get us out and mobilized to win World War II. So they're very successful. We've done before. And now we have a bill in Congress to propose a fifth national infrastructure bank to cover all of our backlog of projects that we haven't been able to cover through the budgets. Wow. See, this is the information that I didn't know. Uh, and thank you for educating me about this as far as the National Infrastructure Bank uh, is concerned. Now, my next question is, uh, is this a bank that's, well, it kind of answers the question as you were talking about the history uh, about it being instituted federally, but could this also be instituted by state? Okay, uh, we are endorsed by the Public Banking Institute, uh, which uh, promotes public banks at both the state and the federal level all across the country. And the, the, we envisage that, uh, that they can complement each other. This is a national bank and it is sized to be large enough to cover all of our infrastructure needs. That's, that's where we're starting from. Look at the American Society of Civil Engineers who say we need this much to finance infrastructure. And we said that's not even enough uh, uh, we need a little bit extra to cover some other categories like high-speed mm -hmm. rail and affordable housing and large mm -hmm. water projects mm -hmm. and things like that. So altogether, we reckon we need about $5 trillion, and the bank is sized currently uh, at that much over to spend $5 trillion, finance $5 trillion over the next 10 years to build out all of this infrastructure. Um, we uh, State banks are usually smaller um, uh, compo composition than that. And uh, so that they can handle other things that the National Infrastructure Bank um, uh, is not handling. For example, uh, we could build the big projects, the high-speed rail projects, the big water projects, and then these smaller state banks can come in and pick up all the secondary business that comes okay. out of this construction. Okay. Uh, just to implement a little bit of, uh, because the people in my audience, they're, they're pretty uh, economically adept as well as, you know, uh, socially adept. 
uh, we have a comment from MJ, the anti-imperialist party says, sounds like what China does. Is this similar to what China does? Actually, China does what we did. <laughs> we were the one that came mm. up with this model. It's called the American system. Uh, and it was named uh, during the uh, Mon uh, Monroe, um, John Quincy Adams uh, uh, era, when a whole okay. bunch of delegations came to uh, America to study our American system of having a public bank like this. And they all took wow. it back to their home countries and they implemented ones there. For example, Germany came, Japan came, Russia came. We also have now new banks. We have a big bank uh, that covers several countries in Europe. Um, Australia has one, Canada has one, but China has three of them. They call them development banks. And they have used them, they have used banks like this to build things like 23,000 miles of high-speed rail corridor, where I heard about along that. their Belt and Road initiatives so that they can move and uh, economically trade with their counterparts, parties, and that's how they're uh, extending their political and economic influence. They also used it uh, to build a water grid across their country. We have huge Whoa. drought problems right now. Uh, and they water also grid. have drought problems in the north, in Mongolia, where they don't have so much water supply as they have in the south. So they built an entire water grid across their country to tame wild rivers, produce hydroelectric power, build out industries, and provide water for farming. Look at what we're doing today. We're falling behind. We have, we're entering now our third year of drought in the southwest. That's where we grow half of our nation's food supply. What has been the uh, reaction of states in those areas is just to cut off water to farmers. We've seen high uh, rising food prices right now, but it's nothing compared to what's going to happen over the next five years. The die is already cast. Uh, cattle mm -hmm. farmers have had to sell off their uh, cattle uh, um, supplies. Uh, ranchers, I mean, uh, farmers are cutting back on uh, acreage plowed uh, and, uh, and tilled, and the uh, food supplies are already going down. So we're going to see over the next five years much higher spiking food prices just because we're not providing water to our farmers. Mm -hmm. So is this bank, this bank is not like a private bank, right? Right. It is uh, incorporated under something called the U.S. Government Corporations Act. And that is an act that uh, oversees institutions that are owned by the federal government, and they're usually financial institutions, like uh, the Farm uh, uh, Assistance Program that provides loans to farmers, like the Export-Import Bank, which provides loans uh, to overseas uh, entities that want to borrow so that they can buy U.S. goods. Those kinds of entities are incorporated under this act. So this, this bank would be a complement to the federal budget. It would be an institution of its own. It's partly privately owned and partly publicly owned. Uh, and if you like, I can explain to you sort of how the bank works. But overall, it is uh, an independent entity that is just geared up and uh, centered on financing these infrastructure projects uh, across the country to the best means possible. And it really follows the model of how the Reconstruction Finance Corporation under FDR operated uh, to mm -hmm. build hugely efficient 
large complex pro uh, projects like the Tennessee Valley Authority, like uh, electrification of all of rural America, we forget that back in the day, 90% of rural America had no electricity. Uh, it's yeah. analogous to uh, 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 what we have today with a large swaths of the country having no broadband. And we mm -hmm. want to get all of those programs into those rural areas, make sure that they're well connected. And these programs would, would operate and the bank would operate very much like the RFC did back in the day. Okay. So one of my biggest things in my head, and I'm somewhat studying a little bit about MMT. You, you probably know about it a little bit. Um, but one of the things that I'm thinking about is when it comes to, especially with like Dr. Stephanie Kilton, Professor Stephanie Kilton has spoke about her book, uh, in regards to how the government is funding things really it's not an issue of if we can afford it but the political will to do it that being said and the fact that we actually did have a public bank in the past but we no longer have it is it just a means of political will to institute something like this because a lot of times people go well we can't afford it and it's like well actually there's a lot of things we can't afford it's just a, the prioritization of where we put our monies at if you can speak to that just for a second. Sure. So in my 25 years, when I used to work at the IMF, one of the things mm -hmm. that we did was look at budgets over long periods of time, uh, countries all across the country, and they all have uh, a similar pattern. Uh, they uh, look at what they can afford to finance into the future based mm -hmm. on what they have as revenues coming in. And mm -hmm. uh, then they make decisions on whether they're going to take on new debt uh, to okay. finance the things that there's not enough revenues for and how they distribute the spending uh, is a matter of their budget. Now, what you've seen in um, the U.S. budget over time is that we have kind of skewed our priorities of what we're spending our money on. Some things we're not able to control because we have to spend money on what's called entitlement programs. That's not really a good word for them, but we spend a large chunk of our money on Medicare and Social Security. And that's called that's mandatory spending. We, we can't control the, the, the fixtures for that are already set on the discretionary side. What we have preferred to spend our money on, let's be frank about this, is military spending. You never saw the, the the Congress members of Congress so fast as to get their budget appropriations in on military spending. Actually, each year it's the first thing that they pay attention to. Whatever's left over, uh, then they share the little the, the little crumbs with with uh, all the rest of the programs. But over time, our ability to raise revenue to spend on any kind of discretion discretionary spending has been falling. And the reason it's been falling is we're not collecting tax revenues from big corporations who should be paying uh, mm -hmm. because they, they use lobbyists to you know make sure that their tax liabilities are the minimum. And mm -hmm. we have not been able to get money from the sort of the middle class and the lower class because actually they're too poor to even to pay the taxes. So uh, our ability to collect revenue has dwindled and our uh, political will, as you say, to finance infrastructure, even though everybody says we need it, it's just mm -hmm. simply not there. It's the first thing that gets cut out of the picture. So what we need is a public bank to direct the investment and the spending. And it doesn't have to come off of the budget. The beauty of this bank is that it creates a public bank 
that can use and mobilize uh, the capitalization that it collects using the same model as Alexander Hamilton to, uh, to leverage up and provide financing and credit just for infrastructure spending so that it doesn't get, once the bill gets passed, it goes on its own. This bank operates on its own, just directed only at the best infrastructure projects all across the country. That's the advantage. So it has two advantages. It doesn't need any capital from the budget to get it started or subsidize its operations over time. And it doesn't, and for that reason, it's not creating any new debt or deficits. Keep in mind, we're in a really bad shape budget-wise right now. When we went into uh, the 2008 recession, we had $10 trillion in debt, in debt, national debt. When we came out of it, we had $20 trillion. Going into COVID and coming out the other side of COVID, we're now up to $30 trillion in debt. That puts us at around 125% of GDP for debt. It's dangerous right now because... If interest rates are rising, and we, what we know is we have high inflation, and the Fed wants to fight the inflation by cutting back the money supply and raising the interest rates, that raises the federal interest rates as well on the national debt. And those are exploding. So if they explode, it's like a velociraptor sitting over in the ferns, you know, <laughs> waiting, waiting to come out there and jump on you. If keep your eye on that national debt and the interest we have to pay on it, uh, it's yeah. going to explode. And if it does, there's less money, discretionary money left over to, to fund other things. And then you have even less money for infrastructure. We reached our limit of what we can finance uh, you could see the pattern under the bipartisan infrastructure law that passed last year. It started out at a big amount. And then when the Republicans and the Democrats, you know, got together and decided, you know, how much could they afford? How would they pay for it? Would they raise taxes and so forth? Then they said, oh, whoops, we, we don't want to raise taxes for that. Let's get it, make it smaller and smaller. So they stripped out things. And it, it, uh, what they wound up with was only $550 billion of new money. Uh, to pay for infrastructure above and beyond what they normally pay. And that's way too small. We need five, 10 times that much. We need $5 trillion to fix all of our infrastructure. So we need the National Infrastructure Bank to top up, provide the other 90% of the money that's still missing from budget um, uh, you know, procurements to pay for infrastructure and direct it and have a bank that just a long-term bank that has a secure supply of funding we don't even need to come back to it again uh, once the bill is passed. Maybe this is a more overly political question of mine, but because a national infrastructure bank circumvents the need to raise taxes, right? Is that, would that be letting the corporations and the ultra wealthy off the hook? Because my, my question, the reason why I asked that is because a lot of times you know, the means to raise taxes on the corporations and wealthy is not only to uh, increase revenue to the government, but it also limits their power to be able to make the government do what they want to do as a small collective group of people. Mm -hmm. So is, is it getting them off the hook as far as, you know, when it comes to taxes? I think we need to do both. Uh, myself, I personally think that, uh, Big corporations use our infrastructure. 
They mm -hmm. use it to take their trucks over our roads. Roads tear, mm -hmm. uh, trucks tear up roads faster than any other thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And they, they, they have scale, you know, scale um, taxation along the road where they have to stop their trucks and weigh them and that kind of thing. But apparently that taxation is not enough to cover everything. Uh, mm -hmm. We have terrible traffic congestion problems uh, across yeah. the United States. We have um, terrible um, uh, under infrastructure underneath the roads. We have privately owned gas companies where the gas is leaking into the into the sky and uh, causing methane, you know, which measurable methane leaks uh, in Boston and other places like that. We have lead service pipes. We have utilities, uh, some of which are publicly owned some of which are privately owned, who are not getting those lead service pipes fixed. We're poisoning communities with that. We have yes. uh, large segments of the population that can't even afford to pay their water bills uh, mm -hmm. in today's world because uh, everything is expensive. The water companies are not doing well. Altogether, we need corporations to depend on our infrastructure for their for their basic um, you know, operations. And mm -hmm. by the way, uh, they benefit hugely from this National Infrastructure Bank. Why? Because what we found is that when you fix infrastructure, the best kind of investment you can make, you raise the productivity of the economy. Productivity mm -hmm. is an economic term, but essentially it is the measure of how much you can produce out the top compared mm -hmm. to the inputs that come in on the bottom. And when you mm -hmm. increase that productivity, you are uh, being able to produce more for less mm -hmm. money. And that's well, good for businesses. Well, basically, you're saying from a uh, from a governmental perspective, it's a better ROI, right? Right. Um, yes. So you know it. You know, and the output basically you know benefits us further down the line. You know, there's less having to repair. Like for instance, we don't have to worry about having to do more constant repairs on roads if we have more of a mass public transit system, because that means just less people on the roads, which means it continuously has less wear and tear, which means that the investment lasts and goes stretches out for longer, right? Yes, absolutely uh, so. And we and by getting, uh, if we can get people, more people onto rail, that's a big objective of this bank, mm -hmm. not only yeah. to build high-speed rail, to have mm -hmm. inner city connections, uh, yes. which will also build out businesses better as well, uh, the Chinese are a perfect example. We've got satellite pictures before and after in China mm -hmm. of yeah. the business development that comes out of high-speed rail. But just getting people, more people onto rail and solving traffic congestion problems are an absolute necessity. I don't know where you live, but uh, we're on the East Coast and it's uh, the traffic here is terrible. We know that it's bad on the West Coast as well. Uh, we're just yeah. wasting, we, we waste sitting in traffic, 56 super tankers full of gasoline per year in wasted fuel and CO2 going up into the sky, sitting probably on a toll road, yeah. <laughs> which became a parking lot. Uh, um, and because we don't have enough rail in the mix. Europe is yeah. a classic example of what can be done. So just Japan, beautiful trains everywhere. People, anybody that's gone to China has seen how beautiful their train stations are, how they whisk people from one place to another. Why can't we do that here? We're becoming a third world country. And uh, if we continue with this kind of attitude, well, we just can't afford it. Well, we don't want to have the taxes to pay for it. Well, you know, it's too big. Yes, that's all of the, all of the above is true. Uh, and yeah. then add to that, we are probably going to be going into a recession. What's going to happen then? We, we, uh, the, the economists now give it a 98% chance of happening. The Fed is going to keep on squeezing down until they put millions of new people out of work. 
And keep in mind, before that, we have 35% of our population right now who can't afford their basic necessities. They can't afford to pay their rent, their electricity, their water bill, uh, buy their medicine, 35% of households. And they're yeah. in low paying jobs that have not kept up with inflation, even though there's been some increases in wages, not enough. Mm -hmm. So we need to fix this from both ends. We need yeah. to get people into these 25 million new great paying jobs that the National Infrastructure Bank will create. We need to build more affordable housing. We need to make sure we get water to our farmers to grow our food so we don't have spiking uh, food prices tomorrow. Uh, and we need to you know, solve our transportation problems. All together, the bank can do all of these things with, again, 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 no new taxes, no new deficits, no new debt, because we're using already existing debt to capitalize our bank uh, and so that we can produce and uh, produce credit just like any lending institution, like any commercial bank does, uh, but we're going to direct it only at infrastructure. Okay. Um, so my next question is, and I've heard this from many people who think this is a great idea, uh, especially the people who are MMT uh, proponents. They, but my question is, can a national infrastructure bank help fund a state or federal jobs guarantee? Ah, so um, we know that it's very important to have, you know, baseline um, uh, the, our population with with uh, with jobs that that they can live off of. Mm -hmm. um, we see that. Where do we see it on the other side is we have people working for Walmart. We even mm -hmm. have adjunct professors who are going and getting food stamps. That's just mm -hmm. wrong. They should be earning enough money from their job to live mm -hmm. on. Uh, and yep. just having a baseline, whether we have a baseline program to provide uh, a minimum salary to everybody, uh, that's another possible uh, uh, avenue that we can take. But for the most part, the direction of this bank is we want to restructure our labor market to get mm -hmm. people into better paying jobs. We have way too many people stocking shelves and uh, pulling handles on uh, coffee machines and Starbucks and not enough people getting training for these 21st century great paying jobs. We need much more plumbers, electricians, road mechanics, uh, mm -hmm. you know, city planners, uh, engineers, all of the STEM, uh, uh, you know, um, but, but in particular, the ones who need great paying jobs the most are those people with a two-year college degree or less. And this is exactly the kind of worker that would be hired for these infrastructure construction programs. We have mm -hmm. all kinds of ideas on how to get them up in training. Labor unions mm -hmm. have told us that they can scale up right away uh, to get mm -hmm. people into apprenticeship training programs where they can earn while they learn and start on a trajectory of a great paying upward uh, mobile, upwardly mobile job. And that's really the secret is to not only just, you know, to help solve the base pay problem. And by the way, the legislation requires that workers who are hired to do these kinds of construction jobs must be paid Davis-Bacon wages, which is a Davis-Bacon wage act for your viewers who are not familiar with it. You can read it on mm -hmm. Wikipedia. It was an act that was passed in 1931 to mm -hmm. make sure that uh, any government program should pay workers 
high prevailing wages in their area. So it's nearly union level wage jobs. Uh, but mm -hmm. that solves the problem. So many problems right there. They won't need food assistance. They won't need, you know, they'll get uh, they'll get um, medical insurance through their, you know, their new jobs. And all of these things will be lifted off of the social service needs mm -hmm. expenditures of bu budgets. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, in respect to what you said, as far as workers is concerned, I didn't go, I didn't even go to college, by the way. But my my biggest thing is, and I think one of the biggest problems that we see is that there's a lot of people at the top, especially within corporate and the super rich, where unfortunately, the people who are pulling the handles on coffee machines, they could make a living wage if they didn't have a lot of their surplus labor stolen from them by the ultra rich and the CEOs. So with that being said, I feel like anybody who works can have a living wage. It's just, it's the will and the, the power that's, in, that's uh, inflicted upon uh, you know, the government through the super rich and the corporations. And I'm a firm believer that workers should actually uh, be part owners because they are putting in their labor um, within, you know, that job. They also should have a democratic say as to how their job operates. Like, for instance, you know, uh, when NAFTA was implemented in the 1990s, uh, you know, as far as the workers, if they actually owned, the, you know, the, the establishments where they worked at, they wouldn't have approved of NAFTA at all. And it would have died, you know, <laughs> in in Congress. So uh, I just feel like when it comes to people who are workers, I think even though we may have a national infrastructure bank, I still think that the root of the problem, which is the the people at the top still hasn't been necessarily addressed, but it, you know, you know what I mean? It just feels like it still hasn't been addressed ultimately when it comes to that. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I personally think that it's obscene that uh, any CEO should make 3000 times what, you know, the average worker in his corporation makes. And one way to do that is simply to come up with a tax on, you know, excessive uh, CEO pay uh, that, could you get it passed? I don't know. Uh, we, we need to definitely have a restructuring of the U.S. tax code. The U.S. Yeah. tax code is geared up at uh, 80,000 pages long to uh, to favor, uh, you know. I read that. Earners, uh, and yeah. not to mention the wasteful numbers of CPAs you need to, you know, to prepare taxes. Uh, if we had, yeah. I mean, Europe's tax code is like 8,000 pages long. So that Whoa. just goes to, yeah, just show you the difference. Uh, and we just need a just complete, uh, we need, we spend, and all, of, when you give somebody a tax break, it becomes invisible. Uh, it's, we call it, ta uh, in budgeting, we call it tax expenditure. Uh, mm -hmm. It's really spending. When you give somebody a tax break, uh, that's really spending. It's a form of spending, but it doesn't show up on your budget. It's netted off the budget and it, it has no accountability. You can't see the, 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 whether it's creating anything positive or not. Um, all those uh, um, corporations that pay zero in uh, 
corporate taxes because they say, well, they're making investments in the company. We don't know. Uh, we honestly don't know because it's in, sort of invisible to us. So if we had a clean slate and a very simple uh, tax code, that would be a, that would also go a long way to yeah. uh, helping things. And then we could structure it in such a way that we would have more equitable sharing of the tax bur burden. They need uh, corporates and large large uh, income earners need to pay more taxes. They need to pay their their, their fair share. Um, they you know the, the that's a, a whole nother thing. For right now. In our critical uh, area era, and when we know that that there's so much lobbying and influence going on, we need to concentrate on some strategically on something we think we can get past. And this is an this is a bipartisan effort. This National Infrastructure Bank, something we can do right now, which will help to level out the playing field. The ultimate objective is to reduce income inequality, in my view. And taxes okay. are one way to do that, and paying. Mm -hmm paying workers more and getting them into the better paying jobs. That's another way to do that. So okay. uh, that's the, sort of the route we're taking right here. I got you. I got you. Now, uh, this is another question. I don't know. I may sound pretty uneducated by asking this question. Please forgive me. But when I hear infrastructure, I hear a lot about roads, bridges, waterways, sewers, things like that. Um, what... <sighs> Would homes be included in infrastructure? Because the reason why I'm asking is because I would like to see, you know, a bank that also assists with public housing to end homelessness. But is that is that feasible? You know, not only feasible, it's in there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we have, <laughs> we have uh, 720 uh, billion in our bank uh, for uh, infrastructure projects. Uh, that are just for affordable housing. And okay. where we got that from was we, what we what we see is that a big, huge segment of our population is housing insecure. They're, yes. they're either homeless or they're about to be homeless or they are just one paycheck away from being homeless. And this is a huge strain, not only on our economy, but on these people. Uh, they can't they can't keep a job if they don't have an address. Uh, they can't vote if they don't have an address. They can't show their political influence uh, if they're being. And, and we have all kinds of document documents uh, uh, that have been done on what it's like being poor in America. It's it's devastating. Uh, and we can definitely do something about that. So our a pronged approach here is make sure we have enough affordable housing. It's mm -hmm. connected to transportation so people can get to jobs. Uh, that we make a fair share of it available where they live and where they're needed. Uh, and um, we, we get them into these better paying jobs as well. So from the top, from the bottom, we uh, I was just listening uh, an hour ago to a podcast uh, on uh, different means of providing affordable housing. And we've uh, in our coalition, we've already thought about that. We've had some Zoom calls, which are up on our website. Anybody that would like to see any of our of Zoom calls or find out a little bit more about this National Infrastructure mm -hmm. Bank proposal and all the great discussions we've had over the last year and a half or so can go on our website, nibcoalition.com and look at those videos. But in the housing area, we need to have different models. Uh, currently, we started out with the model for public housing where we built mm -hmm. these big, huge skyscraper buildings and uh, many of them then became corrupt, uh, broken down, uh, had high crime rates. Some of them were even torn down. 
mainly uh, in St. Louis is an example, for example, where that happened. Mm -hmm. uh, New York, they're still standing, uh, but that model didn't, we were not managing it well. Then we moved to a model where we would let the private sector build a small share of um, public housing in exchange for getting a um, zoning um, approval to do some kind of you know, re real estate refurbishment somewhere. But clearly they are not building enough units. Uh, we have a huge shortage. Uh, we have map by maps and city St. Louis is one of the examples where you can look on the map there and see exactly where, where are we short on units and for what uh, income range. And what is clear is that we're really shortest on units for uh, families that earn below 30% below the average median income in their area. That is the very lowest segment of income earners. They need the housing the most. And so that's what this bank would do, would be to come up with a new formulation, trust fund, a source of subsidization of, you know, things over time, who owns it, we'll, we'll determine. But we need to have a different formula. Maybe we could go something like the Danish model for affordable housing, where 41% of their housing stock uh, is falls under this this kind of uh, unit. Um, but we need to make sure that we uh, we, we can keep our uh, guys that, you know, run the trash trucks, we, need, we depend on them, um, that they have a place to live. My plumber, for example, comes from 50 miles away uh, to out in the, you know, Virginia, Netherlands, so to, to, to repair my house. So it's really uh, something we need to work on and make sure that we have both affordable housing that it's targeted to the very lowest income earners, it's well-run, well-managed, and mm -hmm. has a source of stream so that we can continue a subsidization program for that. Yeah, the only thing is that when I hear the word affordable, I feel like the word affordable is a subjective term. That's why we have to define it, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and as far as, like for instance, I'm disabled, I'm also on a fixed income. So for somebody like myself, uh, I literally had to raise, literally had on uh, Revolutionary Blackout Network, a, you know, fundraiser to raise $5,000 for me because my rent increased mm -hmm. to the point where I can't afford it. Yeah. And so because of that, and, and the reasoning that's given by landlords is fair market value. To be honest with you, as far as landlords are concerned, I, I feel like um, they're basically the only reason why they're making any money is because they just so happen to have the the privilege to have resources to own it but really they really haven't done anything to actually add to our society in general if you want to, you want to talk about that you want to talk you can talk about you know construction workers who help build the home but as far as landowners and and, and not landowners but landlords and people like that they're not really adding to it so when it comes to uh housing it, it seems like it'd be more better uh, in the public sector uh, to own this housing stock. And when it comes to public housing, a lot of times what ends up happening is that there's a lot of cuts, basically the death of a thousand cuts that happens within public housing, because especially a lot of racism that happened, mm -hmm. right? And so when you have public housing that constantly gets cut, and because public housing from what I remember being taught was it was originally uh, it was a lot of people who, you know, were white that existed in these public housing and they had really nice public housing. But then, you know, they ventured out to the suburbs. And so then 
the care for this public housing started to dwindle because there were lots of massive cuts and they started going towards the people who are out in the suburbs. So I feel like it should be a uh, evolution of political will to keep the public housing up to par and not even just up to par, but so that people can thrive in these areas so that they don't have to worry about having substandard housing uh, in comparison to their more wealthier counterparts that decided to move out into the suburbs. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely need a new model. Uh, my mm-hmm. daughter lives in Holland and Rotterdam, Holland, and uh, they oh, have wow. a great model out there where they require any developer to build uh, an adequate number of units within, mm-hmm. you know, the, the 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 gentrifying areas to make sure that there are uh, affordable units there for low income, you know, families. Make sure yeah. that they have all of the uh, um, accompanying uh, superstructure that they need: good schools, yeah. you know, uh, good. Uh, sure transportation, uh, those kinds of things as well, and that there's a subsidy stream until their incomes can come up and they can catch up, you know, to everyone else. So this is absolutely a uh, an objective of our National Infrastructure Bank. Okay, great. Um, I have another question as well, uh, and I'm also going to be showing your website as well. Um, is the National Infrastructure Bank recession and depression proof? Yes. And here's how it works. We are, uh, you saw what happened when we went into COVID. The whole yes. economy shut down. Yeah. Yeah. People were let go from their jobs. Uh, the uh, only saving grace was, thank, frankly, that Republicans and Democrats did decide to get together and you know, issue some stimulus checks to, to send money to people to get them uh, you know, w- funds so that they could bridge the, the gap. And then when uh, restrictions were lifted and people could start to come up out of the other side, we had a quick mm-hmm. recovery. The, the, and maybe it was a Goldilocks moment where it was a little bit too, too hot or too cold, or mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe we stimulated a little bit too much. And that brought on some of the, uh, some of the um, reason for inflation, not all of it, but it's definitely a supply side issue as well. Uh, but uh, we, then we had a quick recovery out of this, uh, uh, this um, so that was a special case, but what you see is that overall, the overall pattern of recessions in the United States is that when the Fed clamps down on money supply and causes a recession, then people lose their jobs. Then the budget comes along and tries to stimulate back up again to recreate the jobs and to do that because its revenues are down because it's in a recession. It has to put, add on to the debt, and when it mm-hmm. adds on to the debt, uh, um, it, it's stimulating, but it's adding on to the debt. Then the debt ratchets up each time you have one of these recessions. We are not in a position right now where the government can do that. We're already at thirty-one trillion dollars in debt, and uh, and climbing, and uh, so we're not in a position where if we go into and we are going to go into a recession. It's just a question of how bad will it be. How many millions of people will they have to put out of work in order to uh, clamp down on demand to get prices to come down? And I don't even think it's going to work, by the way, uh, because if the two reasons for high prices are, you know, oil prices on account of the Ukraine war uh, and us wasting too much gasoline and traffic and the mm-hmm. other cause is uh, food prices, which are going mm-hmm. to get worse, only worse because we're mm-hmm. not giving water to our farmers. 
then uh, then uh, th this kind of demand side activity is not going to solve the inflation problem. So they'll keep on trying to put more people out of work. So we're going to have all these people out of work. So what can the National Infrastructure Bank do? First of all, it can, if it gets enacted, it can start hiring people in the first year. It has an emergency clause in it so that we can go out to all the different states and say, open up your file cabinet, get out all of your, your infrastructure projects that you have uh, you know, on your priority list that need to be done right away, that the end, you've done some engineering on them already, but you haven't been able to get any money from the budget to finance it. We'll start with those right away. Mm -hmm. Hire the people to do the construction work and then hire all these people who have lost their jobs to come back in. That's exactly what the Reconstruction Finance Corporation did during uh, during the Great Depression. And it was immediate. They had they had uh, programs starting in the first year. Within two years, they had a construction project in every single county in America. So mm -hmm. that shows show you how fast you can do it. The uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law is not showing that kind of speed. <laughs> it is uh, moving out very slowly. It passed a year, more than a year ago, uh, mm -hmm. but moving out very slowly. And um, there's a lot of bureaucracy there. We think uh, the, the National Infrastructure Bank would be a little bit quicker, you know, mm -hmm. um, speedier. Uh, and mm -hmm. we can get these projects uh, rolling because it would be just a matter of the entity that owns the infrastructure, a county mm -hmm. or city, coming mm -hmm. in directly to the NIB to take mm -hmm. a loan for the money and start their project, do their, you know, get their uh, contracts out and get the project started right away. So we, we can do it quickly. We can get people back to work quickly. Mm -hmm. The second way that we really help things is by working on the supply side to increase mm -hmm. uh, the production, the America's production of, of, of things. One thing okay. is increase the production of food, by getting water to farmers, and another is making the whole economy much more efficient and productive. Mm -hmm. What about people who are on fixed incomes like myself, especially ones who can't work? Yeah. So um, the uh, th this is really geared to workers. I I, ha I do have to say, um, but by taking people off of role of social service roles because now they have a great paying job, they don't need food stamps. Uh, then you can raise the food stamp um, allotments to other people who need them. Okay. Uh, that's one way uh, you can reshift around your, your social services priorities uh, because you'll be able to take more of these people off of social service roles. That's an immediate way. And also with healthcare benefits too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you very much for that. Um, let me see. What are the questions that I have? Uh, so as far as uh, there's a couple of op-eds that I actually um, read regarding the, okay, here's we go. This is from the Providence Journal. Let me share my screen. I still haven't gotten the uh, the email yet, so <laughs> unfortunately, I'm sorry. Well, if your readers, if your readers would like to uh, come on to our Thursday Zoom call, they can go on to our. Uh, we're going to have an explanation of how I didn't cover that, but actually how the National Infrastructure Bank works like a bank. 
it's very interesting. Uh, um, the, the, we will, I'll do a, a quick presentation on that, and then we'll go in again to how we are going to offset this coming recession. Uh, it'll be on Thursday at 8 o'clock Eastern time, and the invite is on our main, uh, nibcoalition.com main webpage. Okay. Um, so this is from the Providence Journal. Yeah. Uh, it says opinion. Uh, a couple that talks to wait what what in the world what is that hold on I clicked the X and then it just why did I do that all right let's <laughs> okay there we go here we go okay let's say it says infrastructure bank will benefit Rhode Island and the nation and uh, let me see the part that I wanted to go to. Yeah, so this says currently 42% of all bridges are at least 50 years old and 46,154 are considered structurally deficient, meaning they are in poor condition, but still in use and waiting to collapse. Congress will fund a certain amount through the budget. We support that. A new national infrastructure bank can finance the rest and all the new 21st century product projects. Uh, so it talks about HR 6422, we capitalize the existing treasury debt so that we require no new federal spending and no new federal taxes. It will be capitalized at 500 billion and be able to invest 5 trillion to fix the problem, as you said earlier. Uh, this makes this model on four previous institutions, but built much of the infrastructure in the nation. The last one helped the Great Depression and win World War II. So, you know, and it talks about, you know, 25 million new jobs, you know. Um, what, uh, what other, I know there's a lot of indus different industries that also will have like residual benefits from it. Um, it's a word, did I say residual? It's a domino effect basically is what I mean. Um, and so what other aspects about the National Infrastructure Bank uh, that would be important for us to know? Because there are some in my audience that have their doubts. <laughs> um, and can I get this out of there? Um, and so It's like, um, it kind of feels, I don't know. I feel like it's a great idea, but at the same time, there is a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of issues regarding, uh, you know, the, the larger portions of our economy, you know, where people are concerned, for instance, um energy uh how would this solve you know the ecological crisis that we are faced with um because i think the i think one of our biggest issues and i think this is a large issue to me is for instance things like climate change so i'm of the opinion uh that our energy sector really should be 
nationally owned. Uh, with that being said, uh, is there any way that a national public bank could help implement it being nationally owned so that it could be dismantled off of fossil fuels so that we can get to a more renewable source of energy? Because I, I know you were speaking about mass public transit, which is also would do a huge curvature to having cars on the road. And a lot of times people will say, oh, we can have electric vehicles. But I'm like, yeah, we could have electronic vehicles, but then what are we doing by, you know, having imperialism going into places like Bolivia to extract them of their, of their lithium and their lithium mines. Instead, we could just actually build, you know, mass public transit to transport people instead and use you know, electricity instead of trying to have all these cars on roads, which also use petroleum because asphalt and a tar that's used is derived from petroleum. So, you know what I mean? It, I, I think I, did I lose you? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. You, you're you asking for the whole world solution there. I think that's okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we, we've, we've also thought a lot about these things. Uh, let me yeah. just start with that. Let me just start with that editorial that you just showed because it was done by uh, uh, mm -hmm. Lou De Palma, who's a legislator in Rhode Island. And he <laughs> has he's part of our coalition. And let me just explain to you why we have great hopes for this bill, that it can mm -hmm. actually work because sure. it is a grassroots effort. It's not the case right now that, uh, it's not the case right now that um, that Republican or Democratic leadership is focused on this. We have to yeah. get them to focus on it. If, uh, if we go into a recession and even if we have a financial meltdown, which could happen, they'll be better focused. But right now, whose attention we do have is legislators like Lou De Palma and these others that are on the list here. They're all helping us. And just this week, uh, they added their member of Congress as a co-sponsor, uh, co Mr. S uh, Congressman Cicilline, as a co-sponsor to our bill. And by the way, the new bill number in the current co uh, Congress is HR 3339. So if you see uh, the different bill number there, it's because each session of Congress, you have to resubmit the bill and um, uh, and it has a new bill number. We'll have to do the same in January. But mm -hmm. what we found is that these state legislators are very attuned to what our infrastructure needs are. They see their bridges falling down. In Pennsylvania, when one of them collapsed in uh, Pittsburgh, uh, it, they all the, it's a very mountainous area. Uh, they have huge bridges everywhere that are just like they look down in a gully. You just with pieces of concrete falling down, school buses crossing them every day. Uh, it's a huge. I mean, when we talk about how many bridges need to be repaired and what's mm -hmm. in the bipartisan infrastructure law to fix those bridges, it's mm -hmm. only a minuscule part. It's only maybe it'll only cover 10 percent of the ones that are now structurally deficient. Where are we going to get the money for the other 90% of those bridges? We have mm -hmm. one with a big crack on it, a big crack in the steel beam uh, on a bridge that crosses from Arkansas into Tennessee. So we need, we've got a bridge uh, that goes from uh, Kentucky into Ohio that's been on the list to replace for the last 50 years. I mean, we've had past presidents that went out there to look at those bridges. They've not gotten fixed. All these legislators see year after year we're not getting this uh, done, and we need to uh, um, to do that. And, and the way that the grassroots effort is working 
and we're mm -hmm. building support in Congress is these legislators come on calls with mm -hmm. local people from their area to tell mm -hmm. the members of Congress, we want this. We want this. And then the members of Congress listen. And because it's a bipartisan infrastructure law, and again, no new spending, no new taxes, no new debt. Oh, they say, oh, this is, sounds too good to be true. Why aren't we doing this? Well, mm -hmm. go ahead and sign up. You know, that's uh, that's the way that it's working. And they have their list of projects already ready to go that they need to be repaired right away. So this grassroots effort is really working and has gained momentum. We've gained two, three quarters of our co-sponsors on our bill in the last six months since the bipartisan law passed and everybody sees that it's too small to do the job. So that's one thing. The second thing is about your question about the environment. We absolutely know that the environment is a critical problem and where we see it the most is the destruction that the environment is now doing and climate change is now doing to our existing infrastructure. Mm -hmm. uh, we can't keep up. We've had hurricanes in uh, New Orleans again, in Florida again, Puerto Rico yeah. three times, poor, poor people. We haven't even mm -hmm. gotten uh, uh, the electricity grid fixed in Puerto Rico from three hurricanes ago. And we even gave it to the private sector and they still messed up. So uh, we, yeah. we need to make our infrastructure resilient mm -hmm. and we need to make sure that our electric grid stays turned on. And when it comes to transportation, we think that the In Inflation Reduction Act, which was the the bill that was passed uh, just yeah. recently to you know give tax credits for electric cars and putting solar panels mm -hmm. on your house and building solar panel fields and all that stuff is great. We need to do it for the environment. We're going to have to have all hands on deck because it yeah. is a catastrophic problem. The drought yeah. is now entering its third year. We have no water anywhere. Groundwater mm -hmm. tables are running on zero. 10% mm -hmm. of families in California cannot pay their water bill. And when they turn the tap on, they can't drink the water either because it's it's, it's polluted. So yeah. we need absolutely to, to work on these things. And the, the big uh, picture of the National Infrastructure Bank is that written into the legislation, we keep our eye on whether or not these projects uh, will be have a, a net positive benefit to the environment uh, in, 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 in their rebuilding. For example, mm -hmm. we can use uh, recycled plastic in building asphalt roads. We can use uh, panels. Of, I just, we just talked to the mayor, a mayor of um, uh, in Colorado uh, yesterday. Uh, he said that they have a new plant out there which recycles steel builds 50% of our nation's rail sticks that go on railroads, okay? Uh, in, a, in a plant like this with a continuous roll on the steel using solar panels. How cool is that? How cool is that? We, we need to work on electric vehicles, true. But e even if you work on electric vehicles, you still have the cars on the road causing mm -hmm. the congestion. So the yeah. congestion is the problem. Let's look at the big problem. The big problem mm -hmm. is we need to fix our transportation sector and get more rail into the transportation mix. Cement. Mm -hmm. We'll use a lot of cement and steel to fix these bridges. Uh, mm -hmm. We can use CO2 sequestering cement. Costs a little bit more? Yes, it costs a little bit more. But we'll give you a loan for a little bit more money so that you can use CO2 sequestering cement. On the mm -hmm. agricultural sector, we need to fix think of about a different way to grow our food. If you watch the movie Kiss the Ground, which is one of my favorite 
documentaries with Woody Harrelson and it's so good. Uh, you must, your, your viewers must watch it. They can go on kisstheground.com and watch it. We, if we grew food differently, rather than having cornfields upon cornfields or soybeans with Roundup weed killer in them, uh, that is polluting the, the, the Great Lakes, and then we have to spend money out of the budget to clean up the mess in the Great Lakes because of the pollution. This is just yeah. the wrong way to do it. We can grow our food a different way. We can grow our, um, our livestock in a different way, our meat produce in a different way, uh, and uh, save on um, CO2 emissions. So these are yeah. big structural things that we need to do, but we can yeah. get started with a national infrastructure bank that has its eye on climate change. Yeah, I, you know, and this, I don't think this has that much to do with National Infrastructure Bank, but this is something that I would love to see. I honestly would love to see a massive cut to the defense budget and then take all these people who are abroad, who are protecting, you know, oil fields abroad, bring them home and then take gun out of their hand and put a shovel and a hammer in their hands and then have them do building for our country. Because to be honest with you, we don't need troops abroad. We need troops that here to fight. The, the war against climate change, you know, because to be honest with you, uh, you can't help the world if the world doesn't exist. So, you know, I, I just I feel that, you know, uh, you know, this is a good transition into helping it so that, you know, we can give people a leg up so that they can be more cognizant of the power that they hold, because if people are able to have uh, enough funds to be able to you know, do what they need, then they probably can also have more hold sway over, you know, the power that they hold within their employers as well as the government. So you, you know, are the only one either. I mean, they've done polls to ask uh, taxpayers in the United States, what would they really rather spend their money on uh, their, mm -hmm. their tax dollar on? Uh, yeah. And it's not defense spending. I mean, they, this idea of forever wars, we saw what happened in uh, Afghanistan 20 years yeah. there. Uh, that the, the Department of Defense has not ever passed one audit of how it spends its money. A lot big chunks of that money are just in black boxes. We don't know what it's spent on the most wasteful spending ever. Um, so we absolutely need to do something about our defense spending. We're in the business of forever wars. Unfortunately, the political situation is now that China is flexing its autocratic muscle uh, um, around the world. Uh, We'll see if uh, I doubt that it'll ever go down. But, uh, but you know, we uh, the, when we started giving more money to Ukraine, for example, we we couldn't afford the budget quickly. We're now up to 70 billion dollars in money having gone to Ukraine where we couldn't afford to add into the budget to do something about uh, infant formula or uh, uh, or making sure that we have supplies of um, covid vaccines, uh, you know, pr provided by government. That's just. Mm -hmm. A, that's just a little bit of silliness going on there. And we need to re and meanwhile, a lot of the, I uh, put in, I do a monthly newsletter. Mm -hmm. uh, if uh, anybody wants to uh, get onto my monthly newsletter on the economy, uh, they can send a message to uh, info at nibcoalition.com and I'll add you onto my newsletter. But uh, I was just really surprised to see that all eight defense industries were busy meeting with the Pentagon to see how mm -hmm. they can ramp up military production of weapons you know, for Ukraine, but we can't fix our infrastructure. So we we definitely need all hands on deck, all listeners, call up your member of Congress, tell them to pass HR 3339 to build infrastructure in this, you know, in our in our country so that we will be safe. 
and Mm -hmm. no new taxes, no new federal spending, no new debt. It can be done. All it needs is, you know, to pass this bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Before you go, I would like to get some comments uh, in as well. There's uh, someone, Rockfin, and I think I know who that is. (laughs) Um, Just so that I can get these in while you're here. Uh, So let me see. Um, So this is from Roger Meadows. Um, Of course, (laughs) let me enlarge this just a little bit just so that I, so it can be seen. Uh, Roger Meadows, who's also a infrastructure bank supporter. uh, He said, just like to say on every Zoom that I attend, Alfeca is the part that involves public-private partnership. Cooperatives should always be prioritized and encouraged on the private that can be reinforced by your Buy America provision. Saying trucks destroy roads is an understatement. Have you seen New York City roads? Oh, you didn't bring the PowerPoint slides. Got to show if you can. Roger, we had some issues trying to get those slides up on here on StreamYard. Uh, she sent them to me on my email, but I still haven't received them yet, unfortunately. So that's the reason why. So I apologize. Um, and I wanted to add to uh, Roger's comment that, mm-hmm. that not only are we interested in fixing infrastructure with this mm-hmm. bank, not only are we infrastructure interested in growing the economy and growing business, but we are also interested in equitable growth, too. So we want to make sure that the benefits of this bank reach uh, the, the the very poorest Americans who need this kind of, you know, boost the most. And so to do that, we want to make their provisions in the bill uh, to uh, a make sure that workers hired and we will count them and enforce this. Workers hired are uh, show a large portion of minorities that get the training that mm-hmm. small uh, and disadvantaged business enterprises are also selected to receive projects for this for this work. And uh, we want to do mentorship programs with these small and medium uh, sized businesses so that if they need a, a technical boost, uh, mm-hmm. they can get it from a bigger corporation that if they want a part of the business, they have to train the smaller corporation, those kinds of things so that we could build out more supply of small businesses and reduce corporate concentration and make sure we get in these these uh, these businesses into these jobs. And then we want to do community development. So in areas that are really the Flint, Michigan's of the world, the Jackson, Mississippi's of the world, we want to make sure that we get programs in there to fix their water infrastructure, build out all the rest of the stuff that's underneath the road. It's hidden from sight. You don't, we don't even see what's going on down there, but it's a mess. Uh, we want to get all those lead service lines out uh, at, categorically and uh, fix leaking gas pipes and things like that, fix the roads on top, and then do community development, get rail projects in, local rail projects in that uh, run up and down you know, uh, city streets where we know that if you build the rail, they will come. Businesses will come along and you will see huge economic growth uh, coming along beside that. And that's the way to reinvigorate our communities and get equitable development and see if we could do something about poverty, which really still hasn't been addressed in our country. Of course. 
Uh, this next tip from Rockman. Thank you, Roger Meadows says, Alfeca, you might want to adopt another term to replace affordable housing. I spoke to some housing justice advocates out here in Long Island, and they told me that a the word affordable has been co-opted by the real estate and private equity to really mean unaffordable. I forgot what they told me, but maybe low-income housing. Also, Germany, yes, the Sparkassen Federation established in Hamburg in 1778, J.B. Alfeca is the actual author of H.R. 3339, National Infrastructure Bank Coalition, allows for us to give input to the bill. Me, I keep bugging Alfeca <laughs> to prioritize worker co-ops. You can stay engaged with them regarding finding a word to replace affordable housing. They are open for it. So let's stay engaged. Yes. Uh, I, I, I totally take your point. Uh, and I forgot to mention about co-ops when you brought it up earlier. We envisaged that the NIB would definitely lend to co-ops. This was a pattern that was done during the Reconstruction Finance Corporation days when they created out of whole cloth uh, electric co-ops in rural areas that were mm -hmm. owned by the uh, users themselves and then oh. and then actually lent them for uh, equipment, you know, pumps and uh, toasters and things like that, added it onto their co-op bill. And uh, the um, the uh, RFC did all the financing in the background. But co-ops are a big, uh, we, we could do the same with broadband, with affordable mm -hmm. housing co-ops, uh, all mm -hmm. those kinds of things. So th there's definitely room in there. We okay. want the overall objective is we want to keep public infrastructure in public hands to the extent that it is right today. For example, water companies that are publicly owned, we want to make sure that they stay publicly owned. An airport that is normally publicly owned but privately run, uh, when we lend for an improvement project there, it would probably be something like a public-private partnership. But to the we want to keep public ownership of public infrastructure because we, we think that that's the fit of it. Uh, is providing a public good where you have to sort of cross-subsidize the cost a little bit to provide a rural road that might not have a whole lot of traffic, certainly not mm -hmm. enough toll, uh, mm -hmm. but, we went, but, but we need that connectivity out into those rural areas uh, to keep them, you know, invigorated and, and so forth. So that's the main objective of the bank. Yeah, I, I also think that the, we actually should start expanding the public ownership of public goods, like for instance, inter internet uh, and things like that because <laughs> the, the, the private side, they keep increasing the price because they want to make as much profit as they can. And but when it's public, then there's no, you know, incentive to make profit. So it just feels well, like that's, just, that's yeah. a classic example, because it started yeah. public Internet started out as it was owned by the defense industry and the mm -hmm. universities and then um, Vice President uh, Al Gore. Uh, got a bill passed when at the time that he was in Congress, got a bill passed to make a uh, public equivalent of it, which was called Internet 2. And that was the first time that Internet became available uh, through this public effort uh, to the whole rest of the country. And just look how that grew. I mean, just a, a complete example of something that just blossoms and, you know, produces all kinds of productivity out, coming out of it. Yeah, unfortunately, because <laughs> it's owned privately, you know, it's just the amount of money that we have to pay for it has went up exponentially. That's the mm -hmm. only thing, you know, but that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. But uh, another comment by Roger says, 
uh, from Roger Meadow says, Alfeca, uh, recycled plastics for roads and recycled steel hemp can be used for those purposes as well. Nuclear power government owned and operated for a co-op co government partnership to make sure nuclear is not done for profit. Private equity firms to cut corners. Um, let me see. Nuclear has a 93% energy and retains the same percentage after nuclear rides are spent. Energy independent and is always on. Um, SNW not as reliable. SNW nice reliable as 25 to 35% output. Um, and then he says, as a former IT guy, JB, I agreed about internet, private internet service providers should offer services beyond access like cybersecurity and administration of private owned networks used in private organizations and businesses. Thank you for that, Roger. Appreciate it. Um, but yeah. Uh, that the whole thing that he said with him, I fully agree. Uh, there was a, a small little documentary that I saw, it was months ago, where they were actually making bricks for homes out of hemp. <laughs> it was it was fire retarded, flame retarded. Um, and then on top of it, it was way cheaper to make than making concrete cinder blocks. And hemp grows very easily, especially here in the United States. And so it's not only safer, but it's also just way more economic to use. And something like that could possibly be used for, especially for public housing. And, you know, it just looked like a brilliant idea. It's just not that many people are signing up onto it. So I saw that. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I got to I gotta find that and show it on, on my channel. But I thought that was really cool, too. Super. Yeah. Yeah, we will, yeah, we will be looking at all new technologies. I mean, uh, that includes, uh, you know, sensors for uh, turning energy on and off and, and those kind of things to save on energy and um, uh, small nuclear modular reactors to run mm -hmm. alongside of high-speed rail to electrify rail. Uh, mm -hmm. All those kinds of new technologies will, mm -hmm. there'll be a, an engineering unit of our National Infrastructure Bank that'll do uh, to keep track of these. And what we wanna do is simplify and uh, standardize uh, a lot mm -hmm. of this building to bring down construction costs. That's a big objective of the bank as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if we can see about how, you know, if we, if anybody is interested in nuclear, cause I do have my concessions about it, but uh, I heard that thorium is uh, a lot safer as, as opposed to uranium. Correct. So. Uh, yeah. I've, I've spoken to a friend about that and he was talking about the, you know, development of maybe thorium nuclear reactors. So that's a possibility. Um, but the thing is, is that I, I think that, you know, people who are developing these ideas, especially in our public colleges and universities could develop these further. Uh, but of course, we'd probably be able to do a lot quicker if more people were actually able to go to those schools by having to pay and get into debt. But that's a whole nother story. But um, uh, Rush. <laughs> Roger, count me again. He said, Hemp, hempcrete natural insulator cools house in summer. Yeah. Well, that will work for me because I'm in Florida. So, oh, and by the way, by the way, why do I have you here? I would love to see, because we have, uh, uh, in here in Florida, they're trying to institute a rail called Brightline. Correct. And, and they're supposed to, and it's supposed to connect Miami-Dade 
to uh, Daytona, Florida, and Tampa. And I would love to see something like that because uh, we need something like that here in Florida. We, it's just our our transportation infrastructure is subpar, and I'm being kind by saying that. Mm-hmm. So, yes. yeah, I would love you, to see Florida that. needs a lot of things. In fact, it would be a big beneficiary from the National Infrastructure Bank. We meet with uh, legislators all the time to explain mm-hmm. how this would work. You'd get a whole lot of money. It'll cover things like seawalls, uh, like building uh, a transportation, making sure your electric grid is solid. And then another thing, a big need of Florida, you have a thousand people a day moving to Florida. This is putting a strain, on, uh, putting a strain on all of your social services. Uh, you, uh, um, you And affordable housing is really high on the list. So even though it costs less to build a house down there or buy a house down there, it's they're rising and you're being taken over by you know, Wall Street firms that are coming in and buying up housing and then jacking up uh, rate rents and things like that. So altogether, uh, this bank will really help build out your infrastructure, get all your roads fixed, uh, make sure that uh, your electric grid is really hurricane proof uh, and, um, uh, you know, and help with those seawalls because you, Floridians are going to have to decide how they want to live on their land, uh, whether they want to continue to keep on you know, building houses right up against the beachfront that are going to get destroyed, you know, again and again, or if they want to think about something like the 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 Dutch plan to build, uh, you know, uh, uh, mangroves and things like that and protect, you know, seawall buff- buffers and, and build it a little bit further inland uh, to yeah. protect your uh, housing and infrastructure. But that that's a discussion for another day, but we can come down there and provide a lot of um, resiliency and um, built, you know, fixing up infrastructure that hasn't been able to be afforded through the budget. And um, it's just up to, you know, Floridians to decide if that's, that's high on their list. I mean, they need infrastructure to live. Yeah. I wish I could have you up for much longer, but I know I don't want to take too much of your time. But uh, Miss Alfeca, it's so nice to meet you. I really and, enjoyed it myself. And I uh, yeah. my, my uh, greetings to all of your listeners. And please, please, this is a grassroots effort. Even you can make a difference. We have people that sign on all the time uh, to become volunteers to work for the coalition, to organize mm-hmm. meetings, to call up their local legislators, get resolutions passed in their local uh, legislatures. And we have lots of them. You can see them on our endorsements page, lots and lots of endorsements, and then mm-hmm. go on to talk to our members of Congress to get them to sign on to this bill. This will rebuild mm-hmm. your future, rebuild your economy, and even you can make a difference to get it done. Thank you so much, Ms. Alfeca. It's nice to have you. Hopefully I'll get to have you back on when more uh, new developments happen further. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. So uh, that was a very cool and interesting conversation. Um, I, you know, I learned, I learned a lot. And so I did do a poll. Um is this still up there? Because I, I, I created it last night. I don't know if it's still up there. Um, actually, let me take a look. <laughs> like, oh, no, the poll went down. Ugh. Goodness gracious. I just hope the poll is still up there. Please be up there. 
if my internet can actually work. Oh, okay, good. Poll still up here. Okay. Um, all right. So let me do this. Let me enlarge. Okay. All right. So if you guys haven't taken the poll yet, please take the poll. Uh, it's still up. You know me. I like polls. Um, so let's get your opinions here. Um, let me see. Okay. Uh, so the poll so far, after, uh, 32 votes, it says, I asked the question, does a national infrastructure bank sound like a good idea after hearing the facts? 66% said yes, 34% said no. Uh, so this is very interesting. Um, you know, for, you know, I would like to see, you know, some of the reasoning behind some, why some said no and why some said yes. Uh, I know a, a couple of you have been in the chat voicing your concerns, uh, and then some of you were voicing your um some of you were voicing your uh approval of something like this and so uh, it's zoomed but i gosh okay hang on it won't i'm trying to okay all right. Okay. Sorry, I this won't wouldn't do it. Wouldn't go down. Okay. Also, by the way, if you know, if I you know, if you guys are watching, uh, can I get a couple more likes? <laughs> like four. Uh, but yeah. So I also want to go into the chat and talk about this a little bit. Um. I already spoke about that. Um, and on user asks, I mean, loans need be paid. Be paid. Oh, I meant to ask this while she was still here. Loans need to be paid off, so funding must come from somewhere. If no one has funds to do that, how does more debt help? That's actually a, a good question. Um, and maybe Rogers, you know, um, is still in the chat. And he could probably answer this, but. You know, as far as from what I know about, okay, I know some people kind of scoff at MMT, but from the way it's been explained to me is that, and, you know, I know Alfeca was talking about debt. Um, as far as the debt is concerned, like for instance, you think about the debt clock, that's what I think is around $30 trillion that is really the amount of public money that is circulating outside of the government and so that money that is a debt is really considered a surplus for us but really most of that money is actually being held at the top and it's being hoarded at the top i think so i think this is one of the reasons why a lot of people are like we should tax the hell out of their ultra rich because that money should not be long in their hands but that's a whole other story but that being said, 
as far as being able to fund it uh, and appropriate the money for a national infrastructure bank, you know, it could just be, you know, signed on and implemented, but uh, she gave a good explanation. Uh, Cobra Commander says America needs Belt and Road. I agree. We need something like that because the thing is, is, but the, here's the crazy part. We literally have the money to do all this in this country. It's just, it's being held up. It's being, you know, our, our priorities are very out of whack when it comes to the things that we could do. We literally spend more money on our military spending than the next 10 countries combined. And so because we spend that much money just on the military, even if we just kept the same amount of money that we continuously spend, if we just cut military spending, we can reroute that money to other things that we need. But I feel like it's the political will that is not being uh, directed because the political will is tailored towards corporations and not the people. And if it was tailored towards the people, then will we even be at war in all these countries? No. Would we even have student loan debt? No. Will we have medical debt? No. Will we constantly be continuously giving subsidies to these fossil fuel companies and big pharma and all these? No, we wouldn't. But the thing is that because they're the ones in charge of the corporate government, they're not going to allow these things to happen because it's ultimately about um, it's ultimately about them hoarding all the wealth. That's what it feels like to me. But yes, we should enact our own Belt and Road Initiative and implement it here in our own borders. And then once we achieve these things that we want, then we can space it out and kind of do it like what China's doing and not in competition with China but almost like in a partnership where it's like China, okay, you guys help all the other, you know, uh, less developed nations in the East and you guys help build them up, right? Get them off fossil fuels, help them to, you know, and, and finance, you know, their infrastructure so that they can have, you know, a better environment for their people. We can do the Western hemisphere and just build up everybody over here and without using you know, abolishing the CIA, abolishing, you know, all these other agencies that, you know, doing things in the government, just write them a check, right? Just write them a check and be like, here, build your, build your stuff. There you go. Right? Because when they do better, then we do better. And when we do better, they can do better. You know, it's kind of that way. But that's honestly, I think like, that's my ultimate thing that I think that the United States could do as far as good in the world is by just helping other countries build up their infrastructure and then leaving them alone. Like, like here, here's a thought, and this may sound crazy to some people, but what if we as a government, instead of spending all this money on our military and giving all these subsidies to the government, is if we build up this country to the point where we get rid of poverty, we get rid of homelessness, we have mass public transit, we move ourselves over to renewable energy, right? We do all these things that we've been wanting to do, right? And then we use some surplus money and then we send it to places like Haiti. We just get, the only thing we're sending there is, is money. We're not sending military. We're not sending any type of things over there. Okay, we might send like 
aid, like medical aid, food aid and stuff like that to help them, you know, start off, but just send them some money and help them rebuild their infrastructure. Like send our engineers over there to help them rebuild their infrastructure so that they can go off and do whatever they need to as a people. That's it. That's like, that's the only thing I would ever want the United States to do. Anything else and, and no private corporations, unless they are like publicly uh, or unless they're like all worker owned, like a co-op or something like that, that can go there and be like, okay, this is what you're going to do and to help them out. And instead of them getting paid, you know, like the government will subsidize them and tell them to go over there and work and do it. And they don't have to expand, you know, because no, no, no expand. Just show the patient people or show uh, the people in other different countries, you know, south of us that, you know, what to do and just teach them. And that's all you're doing. And then leave. And, you know, because you're doing OK here in the United States, you don't need to expand like that. You know what I mean? That's honestly the the angle that I come from. I don't know if it sounds kind of weird, but. <sighs> yep, X says, I think the infrastructure report card said U.S. has a D grade. From what I read, it's a, it's it upgraded slightly to a C minus. Um, Zach Davis says, how can we get something like this when the government A won't spend on the people already and B won't regulate the bank as it is? Yeah, this is the thing. It's it's because the, the appeal is, oh, it won't add any more new taxes and it won't add to uh, the, the debt or the deficit. You know, it won't add to that. The thing is, is from what my the way my brain is working, it says that the corporations and the ultra rich they know that our infrastructure is horrible. The thing is, is that if our infrastructure gets built up, that means that's money that's not going into their pockets. So even the implementation of a national infrastructure bank to them would be detrimental because then if people start having more better paying jobs and actually get uplifted, then guess what? Then that means people will have more time to devote to seeing what they're doing and to see what is going on, you know, with the corporations owning the government. And it gives people the more, more bandwidth to go up against a corporate government to take their power away. See what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's like I did something horrible and wrong and justice for me is due. And then I see somebody giving the bullets to somebody to put in the barrel of their gun so that they can enact justice against me. What am I going to do? I'm going to prevent that person at least from getting their hands on the bullet, right? And so I, when it comes to the uh, a National Infrastructure Bank and the fact that the corporations literally own the politicians, and maybe this is a pessimistic view, but I feel even if you didn't say, oh, there's no and things like that, I feel like both the duopoly Democrats and Republicans are going to be like, yeah, no, nah. no, 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 sorry, we, we, we can't do it. Or they'll have the bill, they just won't let it go to the floor for a vote. You know what I mean? I I don't know. Maybe it's just, uh, just the way my mind works, but that's how it feels. But 
I wish I had thought about that when I was speaking to Alfeco, but it just it came up into my mind. Uh, Corporal Commander says, I was a civil engineer for a time. C minus sounds about correct. Yeah. Um, let me see. Roger Meadows says, putting money into people's hands is a surefire way to get there in our ass to calm the sixth letter of the alphabet down. <laughs> Oh man, Roger, you got a way with words, man. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to you in person one day. Uh, Brill Pat, uh, Bill, I'm sorry, Brill. Ugh, I can't talk today. Bill Bradley, good to see you. Says the population density of the U.S. would make mass public transportation less efficient uh, than it would be elsewhere. The U.S. is not even the top 150 nations by population density. I mean, look. I still think that we should have mass public transit because here's the thing. Um, the less automobiles on the road, the better. And, you know, people need to get to where they need to get to. So, I mean, and I, you know, because it takes, you know, remnants of the fossil fuel, like, you know, the tar and the asphalt in order to create these roads, which, you know, also have runoff, which can also affect our ecology. Um, now, I would prefer if our roads were made of concrete, especially the kind that, you know, that, uh, that traps in CO2. Um, if we had that and, you know, concrete only needs to be maintenance or redone every 40 years, versus asphalt needs to be redone every 10 years. So it's actually more of a better ROI for concrete roads than it is for asphalt. But to circumvent all that, I say just let's build mass public transit, especially high-speed rail, so that it can help everyone. Uh, I think that the benefits of that outweigh the disadvantages of having more cars on the road and also have our cities more oriented towards pedestrians um, than it is towards cars. Uh, a non-user says more public debt does not equal more time. More debt equals less time unless you die before paying down debt. Um, let me see. Happy birthday, YepX. Um, I can't think of regardless of the day or how the world is falling apart due to capitalism. Uh, Zach, uh, Roger Mills uh, says, Zach Davis, if you live in a ballot initiative state, push one for a state public bank and a permission slip ballot initiative to allow you to charter a public bank. Sulamoon says uh, there's self-healing concrete. Oh, then I did not know that. Uh, Bill Bradley says the U.S. population density is 36 people per square kilometer. China has 153 people per square kilometer. France has 119 people per square kilometer. Yeah, uh, the thing is, is that you have, you know, large scores of the population within the East Coast and then within the West Coast and then some within the South and slightly in the middle. And then you have, you know, basically between the Midwest and going towards the West 
is a lot of open area. But unfortunately, you have a lot of people within this rural area that they don't live out there. And so in order for them to be able to live, they have to have, you know, jobs and infrastructure and resources in order to be able to have that out there. Uh, the jobs aren't out there and the infrastructure and resources aren't out there. So people go and concentrate in areas where the jobs and resources are. If, you know, more jobs and resources can go out into these more rural areas and then people can will follow. The problem is that's just not the way it is right now. So unfortunately, we need the mass public transit in order to do this in the more highly populated areas within the United States. So unfortunately, uh, I, that's the solution that I can see. I mean, if somebody can come up with a better solution, you know, you know, other than mass public transit in order to address our environmental issues, you know, you know, it might work. But that's from, from what I see. Uh, Creative Experiment says Bill Bradley, they built an intercontinental railroad long before the USA borders were even finished. We could build a few high speed rail stations in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa, no problem. So there's a, a conversation. Um, I'm think I'm thinking about showing this story because I think I kind of touched on it a little bit later in our conversation. It's about gentrification here in Orlando, but I got to leave in like 15 minutes. I think I'm going to save it for another stream because it's, it's a story that I want to touch on. Um, I think I'm going to save it for another stream because I got to use the bathroom too. I got to get going. Y'all y'all don't need to hear about that, but <laughs> well, it, it's out there. So what? All right. Sorry, my bad. I didn't mean to say it out loud, but. Um, oh, okay. Yepex says, I think JP missed it, but scientists managed to transmit 1.8 petabits per second between a laser and a single optic chip. Yet we can't have decent internet around the world in an affordable rate. What? What you talking about, Yebex? That sounds interesting. 1.8 petabits per second between... One live? Jeez Louise. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> it caught it on camera. Um, but <laughs> that's really interesting. Uh, Bill Bradley says most urban centers already have public transportation systems, especially on the East Coast. Yes. However, they like, okay, in Orlando, our public transportation is inadequate because they seem to favor tourists and not uh the residents i'll give you an example uh i live along one of the busiest uh routes for our public transportation here in orlando right and it goes between you know um you know residential areas but then it goes down the street and one of the most biggest tourist destinations in Orlando, 
right? And so most of the people who ride it are residents like myself. But like for instance, let's say hypothetically, I'm working at uh, a bar slash restaurant in that area, right? And let's say I, in that bar restaurant I'm working at, I get off of work at 2 a.m., right? We close at one, but we have to clean up and I'm off at two, right? The last bus has already passed because the last bus stops at one. 1 a.m. It will not be back in this area until 5 a.m. So I would literally have to get off of work and wait three hours after working on my feet in order to catch the first bus of the day in order to get back to back home. Because it doesn't run 24 hours. Because it's tailored towards the people who come to visit and it doesn't it doesn't work for the people who actually live here. So, you know, what I mean about mass public transit is also uh, investing in the existing transit that we have already, right? For instance, here in Orlando, we have Lynx bus system, which is, used to be called the Tri-County uh, Tri Transit, but now it's Lynx. So because of Lynx and the way it operates, uh, uh, you know, implementation of it would mean that number one, not only would it expand routes like this to 24 hours, but number two, it will also make it so that the buses run more often because it only comes every 15 to 20 minutes during peak times, right? But once you get to after peak times, it's every 30 minutes, and this is the busiest route. And then once you hit, I think, 9, 10 o'clock, I think it's after 10, then it starts running every hour. And the thing is, like, maybe we can do every 30 to 45 minutes instead of every hour, right, later in the evenings. But they do that to save money. You know what I mean? So, you know, and they have their 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 CEO and all that. It's kind of a, like a private partner thing. So. That's one of the things I think I was thinking. So I, I, I hope that kind of gives a little bit of synopsis and way my thinking goes. But yeah. Uh, Roger Meadows says, yes, the NIB addresses high-speed rail between states, so it will be more spread out rather than a state like New York City. Oh, okay, cool. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Yepex says, before you get going, JB, on the next stream, are you going to be talking about greasing and... Uh, No, Yepex. Bad Yepex. Bad, bad Yepex. Um, uh, by the way, that's equivalent to 225,000 gigabytes. Wow. That's crazy. Thank you for letting... Oh, that would be amazing here. Uh, now, user says, please read John Perkins' Confessions of an Economic Hitman to see how Western neoliberal private banks are used to force more austerity. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. You're pretty 99. I'm not answering that. I'm not putting it up. I know exactly what you're asking me. And no, you can't have my popcorn. 
<laughs> I don't want to stop streaming because I, I love talking to y'all. You guys are so smart. You guys have so many great ideas and so many great points. Uh, Bill Bradley says, my point is that pulling a bullet train stop in Iowa is not going to encourage people to move to Iowa. Jobs in Iowa will would encourage people to move to Iowa and then warrant bully train stop. Okay, so that's a good point. But the thing is that these jobs will have to expand and go there, right? The thing is, is that jobs jobs will only go to an area where they know that they can make more money. Right. I say personally, with the places that work there, give them a living wage, and that increases the revenue of people that live there. Right. So then, if people know, oh, wow, you know, there's co the worker owned businesses there and they're paying living wages out there in Iowa, and things are popping in Iowa. Because I actually have a few friends that live in Iowa. I have friends that live in Cedar Rapids. Uh, and I think in Boise. Boise, I think. Anyway, but I have friends that live out there. And if, you know, pay is going up out there, then then people are going to be like, oh, it's popping in Iowa. Let's, let's go to Iowa. Well, then people start moving out there. Well, the more people that are out there, then businesses are going to be like, oh, snap, it's popping out there. Let's go out there because we can make more revenue out there. Right? And especially if you have people who are in places like worker-owned businesses that are going out there, if worker-owned businesses are actually more encouraged. So then that can also influence people to go, oh, wait, we need to put more public transit out there in Iowa, which, you know, helps. But the thing is, is that it's like it's like what Roger Meadows was saying, is that encouragement for more worker co-ops, more publicly, I'm sorry, more worker-owned businesses so that people will actually retain the uh, surplus uh, revenue that their jobs get. Instead of it going towards the shareholders and CEOs and owners, it actually goes towards the workers. Thus meaning that the workers actually end up retaining that revenue that they help create through their labor. So then their living conditions go up. And as the living conditions go up and the people actually are able more to afford these things, they actually can spend a little bit more at these other different places. I'm sorry, uh, you know, uh, small businesses and shops and things like that. And then more places will be more apt to go out there. And then on top of it, you know, it, it you also have a culture of a lot of these businesses you know, people wanting them to be more worker owned because once people start getting used to being at a place that's worker owned, they're going to want to go to places that also are more worker owned. And then that kind of grows a bit of a, a, a culture of, no, we want to be worker owners. We don't want to just work for a, a, a totalitarian. So, I, but, you know, but, you know, you know, Roger Meadows, I think, has a really good point of ballot initiative starting that cycle of you know helping people to you know the encouragement or the facilitating of environment that's great for uh worker co-ops and other different worker owned businesses i think that's a really good idea but it starts with somebody get putting the idea into people's heads and so i hope did that sound were you able to follow what i said because I, I i don't even know if i was able to follow what i just said i don't know 
I can be I I can be weird sometimes in the way I explain things. My brain is weird. Freedom Experiment says, yeah, even though even if there are commutes buses for workers, you can't use a bus in the afternoon for lunch, just in the morning and evening. Yeah. Let me see. Uh, Bill Bradley says, yes, and NIB reverse that. Think of this. Think of it as this apply. What NIB is proposing is not for interstate where your argument makes sense. No disrespect, but interstate. You feel me? Oh, uh, okay. All right. You see. Uh, Candles Boat says they privatized the public transit system in New Orleans after Katrina. Hasn't been that functional since. See Naomi Klein's shock doctrine on disaster capitalism. You know what? I need to see that that documentary again as a socialist because I saw the shock doctrine years ago and I came at it from a progressive angle. Now that I'm a socialist, now that I actually want the workers to own the means of production as well as for different major industries to be nationalized, like for instance, the energy industry, healthcare industry, and utilities, I want to come at it from that perspective now. So I'm going to I'm gonna have to watch the shock doctrine again, you know. Oh, thank God, Bill, because <laughs> I confused the hell out of myself. <laughs> thank you. Oh God! You got to be a genius to get what I say because I I can't I I can't even get what I say. So the fact that you were able to understand it, hope <laughs> clap it up for you because I I if I were on the outside of myself hearing myself, I'd be like, what the hell did you just say, man? You were able to discern when I said, oh gosh. Whew. Anyway, but yeah, shock doctrine was actually really good. Uh Oh, you said alert Rockfin. Hang on. I saw that. I saw it. I saw it. I thought it. Okay, hang on. Uh, okay, okay, hang on. Let me share my screen. Dang, I am running late. Okay. My boys at R uh, my boys and Savvy at RBN are probably like, JB, what the hell? Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I like talking to y'all. Thank you for the tip, Roger Meadows. Uh, says JB, I asked for the, I asked for the family to think outside the box. National Infrastructure Bank also applies to broadband. Thank God, with good quality speeds, you can work from home. You won't need to use any transportation at all. Japan internet speeds is a three hundred and sixteen terabits per second. What? Hold up. 316 terabits per second. Good Lord. Roger. Ooh. Oh my goodness. That was, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Mm. Okay. Man, we got a lot of improvement to do in this country. Holy crap. Okay. So, uh, I just want to thank all of you for tuning in. Uh, okay, the the okay. Uh, let me see. The poll actually changed. Uh, Thirty-nine votes. So does a national infrastructure bank sound like a good idea after hearing the facts? Seventy-two percent said yes, and twenty-eight percent said no. Okay. Um. So. 
Uh, Roger Meadows says, JB, I just got turned on the Means TV. I watched one of the founders interviewed on professional Professor Wolf yesterday. They are a worker-owned co-op, and I've seen other YouTubers on, YouTubers on it. Get your show on it. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, um, I would like to have a conversation with Means TV about getting my channel on there. But my channel's tiny, man. I just hit 2,000 subs. I don't know if it would work to have my channel on Means TV. I'm not sure. I would I would like to be in a partnership like that, but and yes, I do know that Means TV is uh worker owned. So that's cool. Anywho, thank you so much, Roger, for a lot of the points you were in chiming in and we weaved it in. That was great. Um also uh just to let you guys know, let me get it from under my popcorn. So I'll be doing the reading of Blood in My Eye by George Jackson on Rockfin. Um, so I'll be doing that. Also, I have a special announcement. I will be uh, having a special interview next week at this time at 2 p.m. Don't y'all go nowhere yet. Stay right here. Don't you dare click away. Um, yes. So next week on November 1st, I'm going to have Margaret Kimberly from the Black Agenda Report on here. I'll be talking to her on this channel. So be sure to be here next week on Tuesday at the regular time at 2 p.m. Eastern, where I'll be talking to Margaret Kimberly. I can't wait. Auntie Margaret's coming. <laughs> yes, I'm so happy. Wait for it. Okay. So uh, by the way, I just can't wait to I can't wait to you know see you guys again. I'm going to go to the bathroom and, and I'm going to go and, you know, see you guys on RBN. Uh, look, thank you so much to all the people who are watching on Rockman, on Twitter, on, on YouTube. Uh, thank you to all the people who are patrons on Patreon as well as on Coffee. Uh, thank you for anybody who's sending me any type of mutual aid that really helps in the process and keeping me alive. And... Uh, by the way, I got to get to all the new people who are on... Uh, Patreon and coffee. I'll try to do that as ASAP. But water your plants, water yourselves, leave the world better than you found it. Uh, I sent uh, also the link to the description for the National Infrastructure Bank Coalition is in the description. And did you know that Abraham Lincoln broke his leg jumping out of a window of an Illinois state house? trying to prevent quorum on a bill that dismantled the Illinois State Bank. Oh, damn. Well, that was interesting. Thank you very much for that. But I got to go. Forehead kisses to every single one of you. And in scene. That's right. Goodbye. Love you.